0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Emergency Trauma Mamas podcast. And today we're going to be talking about trauma. We'll call today Trauma Tuesday. So we'll be talking about um, a case review and just kind of talking our way through it um, to kind of help you process, okay, maybe it's been a while since you've done your TNCC course. We all know the 8th edition is coming out soon this spring. So maybe it's just good prep for you to kind of walk through it, talk through it. I always think it's good to talk through some case reviews because it helps us in our brain process things and break things down in a little bit slower manner than we actually do in the trauma room, which is quick and fast and no time to waste. So let's go ahead and talk about our patient and then we'll move on into what would you do next. So you, uh whether you work in a trauma center or not, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know the processes are gonna kind of be the same as far as your assessment and your approach, but just keep in mind of obviously if you work in a level one, two, or three, there's not many fours out there anymore. But um, if you work in a any level of trauma center, you're obviously gonna activate according to whatever your standards are. So knowing those and put those in your brain. Um, how would you activate this patient? Are they a Alpha? Are they a Bravo? Um, or just a standby, however you do in your facility. So you get the um, medic call. So the MICN says you're getting a 16-year-old male patient who was the unrestrained driver in high-speed MVC off the freeway. The vehicle that he was traveling in was T-boned on the passenger side. So when we think about mechanism of injury i always try to close my eyes and picture the patient where they were seated and then i picture the impact Um, that always helps me i'm a visual person so depending on how you learn best if you're tactile or kinesthetic or auditory try to think about the patient and where they're seated located in the vehicle and then of course the impact because that's going to tell you before the patient even gets into the trauma room what types of injuries that you can anticipate so obviously this patient was the unrestrained passenger high speed mvc so high speed to me is freeway speed so obviously 60 70 80 so very serious and he was t-boned on his side so he was unrestrained in addition to that um. So it gets better, so hold on to your hats here. So you get report, and the medic state that the patient was found wedged between the front seat and the back seat. Um, He's C-colored and backboarded. Initial vital signs in the field are as follows: heart rate is 132, respers 10, BP 110 over 68, Um, setting so 82% on the non-rebreather. So just giving that information alone, not only was he unrestrained, um, he got tossed around like, I don't know, your towels in the washing machine in this vehicle that was high speed. So when you think about kinematics and mechanism injury and speed and velocity and mass, um, because we don't know, and we'll find this out later, of course, when we get more report from the medics, what struck, what vehicle struck the patient's vehicle, um, You know, what if it was a dump truck or a garbage truck or a semi versus a Prius? So you see what I'm saying there. You follow my train of thought. Those are two, those are all different uh, mass as far as weight goes. You know, when you think about what's, what's impacting this patient's vehicle, think how many tons a garbage truck is versus a Prius. So you pray that it's a Prius, but we know that we've seen some pretty serious MVCs with <clears throat> excuse me, uh dump trucks and garbage trucks and you know, unfortunately they sit up super high so they can't even see <clears throat> excuse me, some of these vehicles. And of course, the weight behind that, um say a semi versus a Prius or Escort or even just like a Chevy vehicle, um just a regular size sedan. Would be totally different as well. So think about all of those things. Kind of food for thought. Because those are things that I think about before I even get my patient. Just based on what I've gotten so far. So the patient is restless. What's the key there? He's restless. What does that mean? Well, to me, it means he's probably super hypoxic. And we know this because, A, he's probably got a hemopneumo on that side um, either by lat or definitely on the right side, but he can't breathe. He's 82% on a non-rebreather. Really? That's horrible. So he's restless, meaning he's hypoxic. Has he lost blood? Probably. Um, in addition to that, he's restless and there's decreased lung sounds on that side, on the right side. His abdomen is distended. So what does that mean? Well, he's obviously bleeding, uh, probably his, he's got pelvic, probably long bone femur fracture, uh, probably compound tip-fib fracture. <laughs> There's multiple things going on, but definitely he's bleeding, right? We, we are just guessing what's on that right side. Well, what can bleed? Hmm. Let's think about it. What's very vascular that lives on the right side? The liver. So he's probably got a huge liver laceration in addition to a pelvic fracture, in addition to a long bone fracture. And so in route, the medics go ahead and do a needle decompression on that right side. And they notice, of course, the sudden hissing sound. The patient's oxygen saturation has now increased, but only to 86%. So again, what are you anticipating for this patient before he even hits the door? Obviously, you need to be thinking about the airway control and putting that big chest tube in because he's probably, like I said, got hemo and pneumo. Thoracies. He's he's not just got a hemothorax, he's probably got hemoneumo based on the mechanism of injury, right? Because he was T boned on that side. So he was initially awake, but it's been a few minutes now because of the transport time and the prolonged extrication and the seeing. And now he's arriving in your trauma bay and his GCS is seven. Hmm. Remember, of course, GCS is less than eight. We always want to intubate. Now, one of the other things I want to bring into the conversation is the fact that we're looking more, um, especially from combat trauma, what we've learned in the field from the military versus what we do in the hospital as civilians, is the MARCH mnemonic. So that stands for Massive Hemorrhage, A for Airway Control, um, R for Respiratory Support, C for Circulation. H for hypothermia, and of course, we just think about head injuries and how we treat those a little bit different. Under the H, I think hypoxia, hyperventilation, hypotension, and hypoglycemia. Because even though these people are trauma patients and hypoglycemia is not the first thing that pops into our head, We know that there's nothing worse for a head injury than a super low sugar. So the brain obviously needs glucose. And if you don't have enough uh, tissue oxygenation and perfusion because your BP is 70 and you've got a severely head injured patient and their sugar is like 20, well, that's a huge problem because you're not obviously giving the brain what it needs. So you have to check that sugar and make sure you treat it accordingly. So those are all under the H, so hypoxia, hyperventilation, hypotension, and hypoglycemia. And again, those are all special care issues that we look at when we think about head-injured patients, because we know um, even one systolic blood pressure, as far as hypotension goes under head-injured patients, one BP under like 90 is bad for the brain. So that's severe. Um, you know, if they get a blood pressure of 72 over 38 in the field, that's going to have a huge impact on the patient. So maybe they roll into your trauma bay and they've gotten like huge bolus and now their blood pressure is 110 over 64 hmm okay that's great however they had that one low reading which you really need to listen and pay attention to and this goes back to why we listen to the medics when they give report and we have that 60 seconds of silence it sometimes takes more for them to give report let's be realistic and um, you everybody just shut up you just need to shut your mouth keep it closed listen take notes document write on your glove whatever it is, you know, shout, you know, the the documentation or scribe should be getting all of what they're saying, but everybody in the trauma room needs to be listening to the medics because they were at the scene, they know what the vehicle looks like, they know what the patient's vehicle got hit by, and if you miss that critical piece of the pie, you are really going to have some issues when you're you're coming down to treat your patient because you'll be like, "Well, what kind of vehicle did <clears throat> the patient's vehicle get hit by. And people who weren't listening would be like, I don't know. Hmm, I don't know. When the medics told you, okay, he got hit by, you know, a big Chevy old school 76 tank, basically, because those things were built like nobody's business. So that's that's a critical information piece that you can miss if you're not listening. I think listening is a big piece of the puzzle and if we miss that part in the very beginning of the trauma we're gonna um, maybe go down the wrong path or algorithm with treating the patient because we missed a really big piece of information and you know the other thing is the trauma patient or the trauma surgeon if you are working in a trauma center he's not there at that moment typically unless you're in a level one trauma center and not everybody is working in a level one you know you can't just say well You know, the trauma surgeon got report when the patient got here. Well, he didn't. So it's up to us to take that information and close the loop, close the gap of communication. So closed-loop communication is huge here. So it needs to start with the medics, onto the nurses and physicians and NPs and PAs and the techs. Everybody in the room needs to be on the same page. And then we all provide the best care for our trauma patient when we all get all of the information instead of little bits and pieces so it's kind of annoying when the trauma surgeon comes in the room and he's like okay what's the bullet and the documentation nurse should be speaking right up because she should already have somewhat of a note in on the patient unless we're actively doing like a thoracotomy or you know cutting the chest open or doing CPR still somebody needs to give the trauma surgeon the information So make sure that that's happening in your trauma room. There needs to be one person. Usually it's it's the scribe, typically, you know, the the nurse that has all the information. That nurse needs to relay that information to the powers that be. So that trauma surgeon needs to know exactly what the mechanism of injury was. So back to our patient. So, you know, activate as needed, Alpha, Bravo, Standby, whatever you have in your trauma center. And again, going back to this March. So C comes before A and B. So if they're actively hemorrhaging to death, we don't just move on to the airway because it's A and we have to do airway breathing first. We stop the bleeding. And we all know this. Stop the bleed. Big American College of Surgeons um, campaign. We see this throughout. Even civilians. So tourniquets, of course. Direct pressure. Whatever whatever you got Um, you know quick clot whatever Um, TXA sometimes is being given in the field so that's always helpful Um, tranexamic acid some of our paramedics have protocols for that in the field if they're actively bleeding they have a prolonged trauma uh, transport time they're just given in the field so if they're um, you know a couple gunshot wounds and we know they're actively exsanguinating they're bleeding out They'll give the TXA in the field. So depending on what your protocol is for your area, sometimes this patient's already gotten TXA. So remember, C comes before A and B. We need to stop the massive hemorrhage first because if the patient bleeds out, well, they just go down that downward spiral or the lethal trauma triad, which leads to hypothermia, coagulopathy, and metabolic acidosis. And if you don't treat the massive hemorrhage, we're already behind the eight ball there. Well, we know we need to give this patient an airway, but are they actively bleeding anywhere that you can see? So in this scenario, the patient did not have any active bleeding that we could see, um, which is good. And they also had already established one large-bore IV to the left AC. So go ahead and pop in another line on the other side. Get your... um. Rainbow going. Um, your level one should be up and running, ready to go if you have MTP protocol. Because you know this patient's going to get a fast exam and you know it's going to be positive because of what's going on in his belly and his pelvis. So he needs ortho, trauma surgeons on their way. What else do you need for this patient? Well, remember, I said when he hit the door, he was initially awake, but now his GCS is seven. So quick. Stop the hemorrhage if there is any. Okay, there is none. Let's go on to airway, breathing, circulation, airway under control. Trauma doc's going to do RSI, of course. So some ketamine, etomidate, whatever you're using. Um, sucks us out. Rock and vecker are in. Um, go ahead and do your RSI. you're a doc or is going to intubate the patient. So airway breathing, circulation, you popped in another line. What else are you probably going to need for this patient? Well, remember, he still had those de- decreased breath sounds on the right. And even though you intubated him, you still need to pop that chest tube in. So go big or go home. So 34, 38, depending on the size of the patient. Um, he's 16, but some 16-year-olds are like 210, 6'5. 5. So look at your patient's size and document that weight in the Trauma documentation, height and weight is actually very important for pharmacy down the line. And the the quicker you can get it in the EMR, the better. So, throw that in there if you're charting, if you're the scribe, or shout it out. And we all have trauma beds that do all of that stuff for us. And put in that the doc or PA or whomever is going to put in the chest tube for the hemoneumothoraces. Of course, you get your plain films. And the FAST exam. So, of course, the FAST exam is going to be positive. At this point, we've got our MTP. We've got our massive trauma, our massive transfusion protocol initiated. And lab has brought the cooler. And we're starting our our blood and our FFP and all of that and our platelets. So, you know, what's interesting, I've, I actually just um, listened to a webinar. And we're really given, leaning more towards whole blood. And that's what they do in the military that's what they've been doing in the military and the patients have way better outcomes instead of pieces parts so we're like dribbling in a little bit of RBCs a little bit of platelets a little bit of FFP just give them whole blood man just give give the patient everything they need one-stop shop because what we're doing is just giving them little pieces parts well they need it all right now and the majority of patients needed it like yesterday So whole blood is also another trauma trend, and some places are actually doing it. So keep that in mind. Um, So we probably think that, um, you know, this kid's probably got a pretty huge liver laceration, losing blood, doing MTP. And let's say we've got just a few more minutes till he's going to roll to the OR and the trauma surgeon comes in. So you probably want to throw in a central line or A line, too. So think about that. So going through, um, just remember C before A and B. And the other thing that we want to just double check and document, of course, is the pupils. Because do you think this patient has a head injury? Hmm, yeah, probably. Is he on thinners? Is he high risk? No, but he got hit super hard and they were going very, very fast. So always just think head trauma with this patient. I want to get... check his pupils, do our avpoo, make sure you, um, chart his GCS, but make sure you put uh, T for tubed or I for intubation or whatever your, um, protocol is for your, you know, if you're in Cerner or Epic, whatever, make sure that you put in, yeah, he's intubated, sedated and ventilated. Like we can't really get a legit GCS, but this is what I got now and make sure that the patient's on in CO2, which we know should be a nice, waveform 35 to 45. I definitely would try to get gases at least drawn before the trauma surgeon gets here because that's something that they um, can correct. If he is acidotic or he's becoming acidotic, we need to know now and not wait until um, he gets to the ICU, you know, four or five hours later. And of course the exposure in the environment, which strip him and flip them, right? However, I've seen so many people just like, leave naked patients laying around. It's one of my pet peeves. I have a lot. That's one of them in the trauma room. Yeah. Okay. Cut us, strip them and flip them, do everything you got to do, but let's keep the patient warm. So as soon as you're done and the physician has done his, you know, primaries done secondary, you know, we did log roll them, palpate the spine, you know, if it's Make sure this kid's not a quad too. So he's definitely going to have to um, log roll him and check the sphincter. See if uh, he has any uh, sphincter tone. Because I would be worried about this kid being a quad. Um, of course the plane films of his C-spine will show. You know if he's got a C3 or C4 fracture. Even on down the line it's going to be kind of obvious if he wakes up in the ICU. And he's not... Moving all extremities once you know some of the dipper van wears off or they you know wean him off just to see if he's moving at all or bucking the vent um but I'd be worried about mechanism of injury um with s c i for this patient as well, so make sure you're getting the pupils, make sure you're thinking about the head injured patient. You know, we don't have time to scan his head right now. He's just got to go do, we're just basically doing DCR or Damage Control Resuscitation at this point, which is what the MARCH stands for. Those are the things that we're really addressing, just Damage Control Resuscitation. We're not doing all the nice things that we have time to do. We're just getting him where he needs to go, which is into the OR to stop the bleeding. And it's very likely... Okay. So he has a chest tube in now. That's good. Um, you know, his pressure is actually maintaining now. Well, you know, he's got a map of 65. That's good. We want him in that range and, you know, say the trauma surgeon's coming in now and we just throw in some lines and tubes and away he goes. Um, definitely of course, think twice. Think head injury, thinks maxillofacial fractures, maxillofacial fractures, excuse me, uh, LeFour 1, 2, or 3 fractures, we are not putting in a NG tube. Always go OG. He's already intubated, sedated, and ventilated at this point. So don't even think about it. So OG. OG, OG, OG. Never NG with these patients. Um, You know, he had all that facial trauma. He got flipped around and we don't know what's going on in his head or his brain. And you think about that cribriform plate. You don't want to be the nurse that puts the NG down and it goes up into the patient's brain. And then when he does finally get his head CT, the neurologist is like, really not very happy. Uh, so that's a, a big issue. And um, you're not going to hold on to this patient, like I said, super long. You're going to try to get him to... The OR as soon as possible. So the minute that trauma surgeon hits the door, again, this is what goes back to the story and getting that story and being quiet in the trauma room so the medics can tell their story and say, okay, this is how we, you know, we came, we rolled up on the scene and this is what we found. And listen, 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 listen. It is a lost art in healthcare everywhere, really listening. Listen to what they have to say. Listen for key words. Listen for speed. Because again, kinematics, mass, velocity, how fast were they going? Again, we know where your patient was seated. He And he was unrestrained. It's crazy that he wasn't ejected. But he wasn't. So he was thrown around in the vehicle and ended up in the back seat. And wedged in between the front and the back seat. That's horrible mechanism of injury. Again, think about uh SCI or spinal cord injury and of course think about subdural, epidural, any kind of bleed sub you know with this patient because of the trauma that he sustained. So getting your room ready. Oh and again Foley. However, remember the contraindications for Foley um are blood at the meatus because this kid has a pelvic fracture as well. So he's got ortho coming all those things. He's got a lot going on, but make sure if you you suspect a pelvic fracture and you go to put that Foley in and you really do you see blood at the meatus, just stop. Stop what you're doing. You know, we're not saying that he has a ruptured bladder, but we really aren't going to be putting tubes in. If you see active blood coming out of the meatus, just stop um and just make a note of it because that's not Anything that you want to, that's not a a rabbit hole you want to go down. And um, just, but if he doesn't, if it's clear, you know, you don't see any blood, go ahead and put that Foley in because you know that this patient's going to be an ICU patient for a while. He's going to be in the SI for a very long time until he can recover. Um, So think about it. Think about some injuries that the patient might have, like a basilar skull fracture Maxillofacial fractures, little fracture, um, possible SCI, right? Hemo pneumo, huge liver laceration. You notice that as you kind of go through your secondary assessment, he's got a collie's fracture on that right side. And um he does have a femoral fracture, but it's not um compound, which is good because that would have caused active external hemorrhage that we would have had to stop, but he does have also um a right tip fib fracture. So a patient with all of those injuries, you need to anticipate, too, in your trauma room before the patient even gets there. What do I need? What am I going to need? So I like to get supplies out ahead of time. If I even have five minutes before like I get the medic call, I'm going into the trauma room, I'm gowning and gearing up, I like to get my stuff out. So just have your chest tube tray, central line, A-line Turn your fluid warmer on. Just get some fluids through it. Um, It's primed, ready to go. So when their first unit comes of your own egg, you can just throw it up. You don't have to waste time during trauma to prime the tubing and do all of that because that is just wasted time. So anticipate, anticipate, anticipate. Um, Most of us do have like an airway board right behind the patient at the top of the head of the bed. So getting out, you know, all the that all of those things. So ET tubes, all the sizes are right behind the docks and the glidoscopes always in the trauma room. So that stuff's already there. Um, do think, however, if you don't have a Pixis or AccuDose in your trauma room, which I'm spoiled, I'm used to, get your RSI drugs out and have those ready to go because there's nothing worse than them calling for hey, I need rock, hey, I need, you know, whatever, and you don't have it. So that's not a good situation either. So anticipation is very key to trauma, um, and it comes with experience. So I don't have anything else about this case. Oh, wait, you know what? I do want to give you a set of vital signs here. Um, you started to give him the neg, and the trauma surgeons now at the bedside. And his blood pressure is 97 over 64. Eh. um, He's tubed, and he's 99 to 100 on the vent. You've got a nice waveform. It's 35 to 45 on the monitor. And you always make sure you it's a 7.5 cuffed ET2 4.5 centimeters from the lift. And the trauma surgeon's pleased with the chest tube placement, and he takes a quick look at the fast and says, yep, We're gonna go ahead and take this patient to the OR. Um, You do do the AVPU for the neuro, for D, for disability. So airway, breathing, circulation, disability, DeNuro, Robert DeNuro. And um, you check his pupils and his right is five and his left is four. So we're very suspecting of, you know, basilar skull fracture, um, maxillofacial fracture, and off to the OR he goes. So he has a neuro consult ortho and obviously he's general vascular surgeon and off he goes to surgery so thank you for listening to my podcast and we will talk next week thank you have a great day everybody